All right, I'm uh, I'm good when you're good. Okay. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. Today is a sad one, and the reason is because we lost one of our greatest comic book creators of all time. And I am here, I am Paul Spataro, and I'm here with my buddy Scott Gardner, and we're here to talk about uh, the career, a little bit of the career of Neil Adams, but more more so than the career, talk a little bit about the man, what we know about him, and to cover two of his books. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, this this is a sad one. Um, you know, he was uh you know, there's no two ways around it. He was a legend. You know, he was he was one of the 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 big guys in the industry and uh you know, for for me personally, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I I grew up uh you know, with Neil Adams as uh, you know, I mean, he was just one of those those powerhouses in the in the industry at that time you know so for me growing up you know a lot of the the books that i gravitated to um you know had you know just gorgeous neil adams covers on them and and it was one of those things that really sucked me in and and made me a fan of uh you know the characters that i am a big fan of and so yeah i mean his impact uh you know both for him professionally you know with comics but then you know for me personally as a fan it's just like wow i mean he was you know hearing that news was just uh, yeah i had, you know, I had you, no I, idea that he was ill until i read about his passing so it came as a total i had shock. no idea he was 80 years old yeah oh he, yeah you know what? Yeah, yeah. He, he looked younger he did look younger than than 80 uh i you know I, I'm, I'm very saddened by it and uh much like you, early on in my collecting, I became very aware of him. He was one of the very first artists I became aware of uh, mm-hmm. that I sought out his books. And his books, for as long as I remember, have always been more pricey than anybody else's, or not than anybody else's, but than most others, uh, just on the basis of his his artwork in it, because his artwork was so groundbreaking at the time. I, in my mind, have set up, like a there's like a tier system uh, for my greatest artists of all time. Uh, and the top tier, the the top three are Neil Adams, John Romita Sr., and Jack Kirby. Those are my three, like, favorite of all time. Then, for some reason, the next tier, and we just lost one of them in the last week, is uh, John Byrne and George Perez, who are, like, virtually equal to me, the two of them. Uh, right. And then we go to the next tier, which is, uh, is it Gil Kane, Gene Colan, and uh, my God, I had a third one. I can't think of who it was now. Uh, and then there's the fourth tier. You get Rich Buckler, and there's other guy, other people there. Uh, right. But you know Neil Adams was in the top tier. He always has been for me. Uh, he's well. It seems to me that so many of those other ones that you mentioned, and many of those are on my list as well. Uh, you know, particularly uh, John Byrne, George Perez, and uh, and Rich Buckler, and there's others as well. You know, they they were influenced heavily by Neil Adams. They kind of come from the Neil Adams school, if well, you know did, what I didn't mean. Did Rich Buckler work in Neil Adams' studio? 
I believe so. Yeah, I, I'm almost positive he did. And also, um, although he's not anywhere near as big as as these other ones, Al Weiss uh, came from uh, you know working with with Neil as well. So. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the the artists that I've most heavily gravitated to personally as a, as a comics fan, um, you know, come from that that Neil Adams. Uh, I keep calling it school, but you know what I mean. I mean that, that style. They were so in, especially Burn. I mean, if you look at early Burn, he's clearly aping um, Neil Adams. And as a matter of fact, uh, I'll be pointing out a panel in the book that you chose for tonight. That as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, my God, I've seen this before, but I've seen it with Byrne doing it. I mean, it's almost exactly the same panel. I've seen him use this particular shot uh, in his books and in, in his style. So, I mean, you know, the, the impact of Adams just on other, you know, future comics artists, especially some of the big stars, is, you know, quite impactful as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he he was. I I think. I think you still look at his work, and it's you know it's it's unparalleled in its own way. But I do think there have been enough people who have been influenced by him that it's not quite as obvious how much of a groundbreaker he was. If you, you know, if if you don't compare it to. Or if you start comparing it to things that came later, people who were influenced by him. If you look at what was there when, right. when he did this, you know, he was every bit as innovative in his own way as, as Kirby. And Kirby was, you know, he's credited for creating so much of the universe. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I just, it, it's mind boggling to me. Uh, but before we get into right. his books, uh, I wanted to talk about, you know, and I've mentioned before on the show, my personal experience with meeting him. Uh because I guess it was before I was podcasting. I was trying to remember. I was thinking I had the press pass, but I, now I'm thinking more about it. I don't think that was the case because I think it was before you and I started doing this show. Uh, in fact, I think uh, I came on uh, Comics Monthly Monday to talk about having been at New York Comic Con and that I was talking to Neil Adams and uh, everything. So I wasn't actually doing any regular show at the time. Uh, and I had a friend, or I have a friend, uh, that I work with, and her husband is an is an attorney who did work for Oni Comics uh, with their you know properties that that have been made into live action stuff. And I'm thinking he had gotten me the pass because I was there on a Thursday, which was when you know New York Comic Con when they first first started Thursdays, and it was only open to you if you had a four day pass. You couldn't buy a ticket for it. Uh, for you know, for it by itself. So it was by far the least populated day of the of the con, and I went on Thursday by myself. I went with my kids on Friday, but Thursday was just for me. And uh, I remember, I you know, Neil was sitting there at his table, and I went over and I bought a print. It was I think it was twenty bucks, and he signed it. But nobody else was around because you know the con wasn't that full. So, I, you know, he had me sit down next to him, and we just sat there and talked for about half an hour. It was like the Gracie, and I was such a fanboy. I was like, like I had to calm myself down. You know, I was all nervous talking to him, and he could tell, and he was smiling and, you know, being cool about it. Uh, and I, I was just so impressed with how nice he was, and we took a picture together. And, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, 
how how you know I was how I fooled myself into thinking I was an aspiring artist when I was younger. And I was talking about how I had his book, you know, I had actually volume one and two of The Art of Neil Adams, and that I had copied several of the pictures, and I talked about how in, you know, the portfolio that I still keep, I had one particular picture that I recreated, and, and, and he was, you know, he was really cool about it. He was like, oh, I know exactly the picture you're talking about, and he actually, like, put his arms out and posed like the character, uh, and we were both laughing about that. It was It was just such a cool experience, and I've heard people talk about, you know, Neil's views on the world and that you know he kind of marched to his own uh marched to the beat of his own drum and <laughs> i kind of think that's fine i have no problem with that he had you know his expanding universe theories and and all sorts of things that that probably are too complicated for me to really understand exactly where he was going anyway but he also had just such a great feel for the industry i mean he from everything I understand, is single-handedly responsible for the expansion of the color palette in comics. Uh, he he was a great champion of, of creators' rights. I mean, there's just so many things he did besides what he did on the page. Uh, that that is, you know, it's just uh, I I will always be a huge fan. That's really what it comes down to. And I think I just wanted to mention before we move on to other things, or before you give your thoughts, you know, in later years. A lot of his books that that came out, you know, which obviously wasn't as prolific in later years, but a lot of the books got criticized. And when I look at them, I think mostly the criticism should be twofold. One is for the stories aren't quite as epic and and great as what he did when he was you know in the younger days. And he probably shouldn't have inked his own work because he, you know, he I think it's pretty much universally thought that his work was at its best when he was doing it with Tom Palmer inking him. Uh, but when I look at the artwork on, on the books and most recently there was a treasury edition of the fantastic four is the most recent thing I I've purchased. And again, I, the story left a little something to be desired, but the artwork, when I look at it closely was still Neil Adams. Like he really didn't lose. It wasn't like some other artists that we see that we've loved over the years and that, it came down a peg when they got older. You know, Jack Kirby wasn't doing the same quality of work as an older man as he did as a younger man. Uh, Kurt right. Swan didn't do the same work as an older man as he did as a younger man. Uh, I, I, you know, I, the, the list could just go on and on. But when I look at the later work and when I just try in my mind to, to picture the pencils, I don't think he lost a step as far as his artwork went. So, you know... Here's to you, Neil. That's all I could say. I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't respect you more than I do. You were asking me before we, <clears throat> pardon me, before we got started if I'd met him. And it's such a stupid thing not to be able to remember, but I, I honestly can't remember. I know that I, that I know that he was at conventions that I went to, and I know I went to his table. But I have no memory of actually speaking to the man. And I, I just, I'm, I'm really struggling to try to remember, you know, because it seems to me I'd, I would have at least have wanted to, to walk up and, you know, shake his hand or just speak to him, you know, j even if it was just for a second to say, you know, thank you, I'm a big fan, whatever. And I just have no memory of it. But you reminded me of something of kind of the, 
I don't know if you'd call it a controversy, but the, the, the thing toward the later years of his life where my understanding was, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, somebody can, can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but my understanding was from reading, I don't know, something on the Internet or the fanzines or whatever, was that he'd get really pissed if somebody basically told him, hey, your new stuff's not as good as your as your old stuff. And while I would never do that, I'm thinking maybe I didn't go talk to him because I was afraid if I took up like I've never been one to take, um, you know, the like the quintessential thing you would think to take for a particular like say for like when I met um, Chris Claremont, for example, I tried really hard not to take anything X-Men. Because I figure the guy's probably signed a zillion X-Men books in his life. So I try to take different things that I figure he doesn't sign every single appearance. And that actually worked really well for me. And I've done that with, with other um, comics folks that I've met. You know, I've tried not to take the thing that I figure they've signed a zillion times type of thing. And with Neil Adams, I was just thinking, if I take something... For him, it's going to be something older. You know, it's going to be something from, you know, his heyday that means something to me personally. But then I thought, what am I going to say if he says something about, hey, did you read, you know, the latest thing that I've done? And and I wouldn't know what to say. And, I, you know, again, while I would never say to him, well, you know, I don't like your new stuff as much as your old stuff, I wouldn't even want to make that suggestion is mine that that's why i hadn't checked the new stuff out so i think i I think i was actually intimidated away from meeting him now that i really think about it i i think i I was kind of scared off if you know what i mean yeah no i could i could understand that and you know it it brought to mind when i was sitting there speaking to him uh i don't remember how it came up in conversation because i don't think i said you know what are you working on now uh, although I may have, I may have said, you know, it's a shame I don't get to see more of your stuff. And, you know, and he says, oh, this is what I'm working on now. But at the time he was doing uh, an X-Men book. Uh, and, you know, it was like a mini series about, I think it was like, what if, you know, kind of a what if the X-Men had been, you remember the, the book, what if the Avengers were in the 1950s? I think it was a book like, it was effectively that. It was yeah. like, what if the, the X-Men had been in the 1950s? And, he, and yeah. he started talking about, he says, you know, yeah, Wolverine, because he's, you know, he's been around forever and you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like telling me that, you know, the concept. And I said, oh, that, you know, that sounds pretty cool. Who's writing it? And he just kind of put up the two thumbs and put them towards his chest. And, 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 I, and, I, and my first thought was, oh, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but, but I just, you know, I, I just said, oh, you know, that sounds great. I, I, you know, I look forward to seeing it. And I do remember when it came out and I looked at it and I, I liked the artwork. I thought it could have been inked, you know, I would have liked to said again, I would like it if it was inked by Tom Palmer. Uh, but other than that, I liked the artwork and I thought the story was kind of forgettable to be fair. Uh, is that first X-Men? Is that the name that of it? That sounds right. Yeah, I'm looking. I have uh, Mike's Amazing World pulled up in uh, in a list of his story credits. Because if you, you know, one of the nice things about uh, Mike's Amazing World is you can break these things down to stories, covers, or for some reason, editor. I'm not sure why. Um, his story credits. I'm shocked when I pull this up. It's actually rather small. 
for the legend that he is, his body of work as far as comic stories that he illustrated in, in one aspect or another, whether he was the penciler or, or the inker or you know just the overall artist, and in some cases colorist, is actually rather small uh, when you consider you know his, his legend and the years that he worked and everything. But you pull up his cover credits. Oh, forget about it. And oh my lord! I mean, it's uh, it's huge. The list. I mean, it's it's massive. Um. So I mean, he was was uh, you know, much more prolific when it came to the covers. And that's, I guess, that's the thing that was really funny for me is I, I think I knew that in my logical brain, but to actually see it, you know in front of me in black and white really, really brought, because I was looking at um, specifically Superman and it's really funny because to me, he is the definitive Superman artist for me because his Superman was kind of ever present. Like when I was really little, you know, like, like first, discovering Superman, even I think even before I could like read and read comics or anything, his Superman was just out there. But looking at the actual story credits, I mean, he only did, I think like, like four or five actual stories with Superman. So I'm like, why am I remembering him to just be this like really prolific Superman artist? And it's because he did so many covers. He did so many covers, and I mean a ton of covers. Um, but also he did records, you know, like the the record um, album, you know, like the album covers. And he did calendars, and he, you know, before Garcia Lopez became, you know, the the DC marketing guy. You know what I mean for for the what do they call that the. Uh, you know, he did the style guide. So when they would when they would license the characters out, it was it was his style. Mm-hmm. Before Garcia Lopez came along, generally the Superman that you would see in marketing uh, of that character was Adam's Superman, and so he was just kind of always there. I mean, to this day, somewhere in this house, I don't have it here in front of me, but I have a a, a placemat like a. You know, like a dinner table placemat that you would, you know, rest your dishes on from like 19, like, I don't know, like 74, 75, something like that. That is a Neil Adams illustration of Superman flying through space. You know, so that sort of thing. And so that's why he, to me, it's funny to me that, you know, for so many people, he's their go-to Batman artist. And he's very high on my list for Batman as well. But for me, I'll always remember him as the Superman guy. Like his his Superman to me is like that's the definitive Superman. Well, that's that's I've um, talked about that in the past too. Where, where in my mind I can distinguish two kind of two key artists for a character. Who is the artist I first associate with the character, and who is the best artist for the character? So like. For right. Batman, Jim Aparo is the is the char- the artist I first associate with the character always. But Neil Adams is the best Batman artist as far as I'm concerned. 
Superman, you know, the, the artist, for better or for worse, the, the first artist that comes to mind for me every time is Kurt Swan. But Neil Adams is probably the best Superman artist. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And, no, I, and Neil Adams can, can, can take that credit on several levels. Uh, you know, I'll give John Byrne the best artist for the new X-Men. But Neil Adams is the best artist for the original X-Men, even though he only did a very short run. Right. So, you know, the, the, Neil Adams has got a lot of <laughs> he's got a lot of cred as being the best artist to to do things. And that's just because realistically, because he's just a great artist. You know, I, I, I wish he had done more as as a huge Marvel fanboy. I wish he had done more Marvel books. But, you know, hey, I'm just happy to have what I have by him. <laughs> you know that was that was the thing you know uh, you know and i know you're not as big a fan uh, as many but you know i've talked about uh, jim steranko and i always loved the innovative way that he drew or you know well i guess i mean he's still alive but i don't think he's actually drawing anything anymore uh but my biggest complaint was he did so little there's there's not a lot of jim steranko comic books out there uh, right so you know that's the disappointing thing you know neil adams there is a you know good sized body of work you know, even though he didn't do a lot of issues of Superman, but if you spread out, you know, everything he did between the different series, there there are a lot of Neil Adams comics out there, and he did some of, you know, some of the real key issues. I mean, it was, uh, I don't remember how long I was I was lobbying for us to do uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali before we finally did yeah. it. For, what did we do it for our two hundredth episode? I think. Uh, Something like but that. I, yeah. But you know, if if you'll remember, before I was on this show, when I was just a uh, an emailer, I, I mentioned to you and Mike a few times, "Hey, when are you going to do Superman vs. Muhammad Ali?" <laughs> so you know, to me, that's one of my definitive favorite books of all time. Uh, you know, that's that's definitely yeah. on my list. So, uh, you know, he he was just, uh, you know, I, I can't say enough positive things. My my vocabulary runs short. Uh, and, and then, you know, you, you just add to that. It's such a great experience when somebody who you think of that highly on a professional level, you meet them personally, and at least in the experience you have, and I can't speak for anybody else's experience, but from my experience, that the time I had to talk to him that day was just one of the highlights of my, uh, of my being a comic collector. So, you know, for, to, for him to pay off in that way is just great. It's just, you know... It, it, it's it's always going to be a, a solid memory for me, and you know I'm, I'm I'm so thrilled that I have a picture of the two of us together from that day because, you know, it, it was a key moment in my uh, in my fanhood. That's awesome. That is that's awesome. Yeah, I uh, like I said, <laughs> the more I think I think I think I was just too intimidated, which. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny to me. I don't normally get intimidated by by much of anything or anybody, but uh, in, in that particular case, I think it was just the fact that, you know, he was a he was a childhood hero type of thing that uh, I think I was just, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I if I did, it was a very timid like, you know, hi, how you doing? Nice to meet you, and walking away like a dork. So. Well, well, I'll tell you, there's no doubt about it. like when I first sat down to talk to him, I was. Mm like I was really nervous and I had to like kind of take a deep breath and he could say, you know, there's no question he could see. And he was, he was just like sitting back, letting me catch myself. And I, and I said, I'm, I'm just so excited to talk to you that, that I'm like having trouble putting my thoughts together. 
and and he was just really cool about it but it was you know to, it's like me you know you're meeting one of your childhood heroes I, right. I don't know if I would have been more excited, uh, you know, meeting Paul McCartney or meeting, uh, you know, Tom Seaver or, or Joe Namath, my sports uh, heroes. I don't know if any of them would have excited me any more than that did. Well, that's that's the thing, you know, for, for people like us, you know, in this hobby and, you know, that with these interests, somebody like Neil Adams was a Paul McCartney or, you know, the other people that you've mentioned, you know, I mean... And it's funny because I remember talking to Roger Stern about this once, and he even wrote about it in some article I, I wish I could find, because I, I don't know where, I don't remember now where it ended up published. I don't know if it was like Comic Comics Buyer's Guide or whatever, but just this fact that, you know, they're treated like that by us, but they live in a different world. Like, Paul McCartney can't walk down a public street, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But somebody like Neil Adams or Roger Stern or any of these guys could, you know, they could walk out of a convention where they've just been treated like a rock star and walk across the street to McDonald's and nobody knows who they are. You know, so that that's weird that that's kind of the world that they lived in. And I, I, I don't know if that's good or I guess it has both good and bad aspects to it. You know what I mean? I think there've only been a very, very small number of people who, who uh, have transcended that. And the only one I can think of offhand is Stanley. Right. Right. You know, he, yeah. he was at the point where, you know, if he went down the street, people are going to recognize him. Right. But I don't, I don't know if there's anybody else in comics who hit that level. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, we, I've, I've joked but, around about the same thing. In fact, uh, one time, uh, I think it was the, I think it may have been the, the last time I went to New York Comic Con a few years back, and uh, as I was leaving, uh, I ran into Jimmy Palmiotti who was sitting having a slice of pizza, and I, I talked to him for just five minutes. I didn't even want to bother him. He was eating his lunch, but we, I, I actually commented about that, about it, you know, how inside, you know, we're all big fans. But out here, you're just one of us. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, it is. That's funny, though. But no, I mean, he he was, you know, comic book royalty, you know, uh, uh, especially, you know, in, in the time when I would have had the opportunity to meet him, you know, at, at these conventions. By that point, um you know, most anybody that would be, you know, quote unquote, higher up the ladder than him was gone. You know, Jack Kirby was gone. You know, so who is there after Kirby? You got, you know, Starenko, I guess, arguably. Um, and you got Neil Adams. And so he was kind of the guy, you know, and, at least as far as artists. Anyway, you know, you, of course, you know, he's still like you mentioned, you know, Stan Lee. But I mean, you know, who who else really was at that level? So I think. You know, yeah, there's the there's oh. a lot of you know uh, celebrity there. There's a lot of uh, uh, you know intimidation factor. I think there, you know, when you're when you're talking to somebody that's kind of you know again comic book royalty. You know, that's that's you know you look at they're like oh yeah he he's a god he's he's Neil Adams. Well, you know, it's, it's funny you should mention though about the separation aspect of it because that's something that I didn't think of at New York Comic Con. 
uh, you know, they have Artist Alley, which you go downstairs and it's, you know, row after row. You know, and you've seen it at Comic-Cons, I'm sure, you know, where they have the, the mm-hmm. tables all set up and each artist has like their banner and whatever, each artist or writer or whatever. Uh, Neil Adams and Jim Steranko were the two that were that transcended Artist Alley. They would not be down there. They'd be up on the main floor in a regular, you know, booth, uh, you know, with, with all the, the vendors because you know they would they would attract all the attention if they were downstairs so they they wouldn't right. they wouldn't have them down with all the other artists so it, you know even George Perez was downstairs he would have a booth off to the side which was bigger than everybody else's uh and you know his the crowd that would you know they would have to have him off to the side because there would be a line every time and you know we right. you know, we're going to follow this up uh shortly in the next few episodes with a uh, tribute show to, to Perez. And I could say the only reason I never managed to do with him what I did with Neil Adams was because there was always a huge line. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But back to Neil Adams. We have two books that we've chosen. Uh, and you, you saw how I chose mine. I, I actually did a quick search. I, I, I went on the Internet, you know, went, went on to Google, and I just put in... You know, top Neil Adams uh, books, just because I was curious as to what would come up. And uh, for the 10 best Neil Adams books ever, the first one they listed was Avengers 96. So I said, I said you know what, I'm going to do Avengers 96 then, uh, which is not really the book that I would have picked as my first one. But it's fine. It's it's it's, you know, the artwork is beautiful. And that's what we're that's what we here to praise. Uh, and just just what, for what, what it's, you have chosen, just what's that? As as my fa- what would well, you if I was going to choose my favorite, it would have been Superman versus Muhammad Ali, but we've already done that. Uh, <laughs> I probably would have taken taken one from his X Men run, uh, and I think I would probably lean on the book when Professor Xavier, you know, who was thought dead and he came back, and it was going to be the the invasion by the uh, Znox, uh, you know, the alien race, which supposedly that's why he was in uh, seclusion for that time. Uh, I just remember some of the artwork in that being really, really pretty. So I probably would have chosen that one. Uh, but for what it's worth, uh, I, I'm ashamed. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. Interrupt. Just, just, uh, just quickly that you know, at least on the the, the ones that showed up on the page, Avengers '96 was number one. Avengers '59, uh, X Men '59 was number two. Brave and the Bold '85 was number three. Green Lantern number '85 was four. Batman '244 was five. Superman versus Muhammad Ali was six. Uh, X-Men number 58 was seven. And Batman 251 was eight. And then that's where the list cut off on me. So just for anybody listening who's curious about that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the next two were on the top ten. Uh, but, you know, you got that. So what were you going to say? I was looking. Um, I was just going to say I'm ashamed to admit it. I've never read his X-Men run. But I did have one issue of it. Um, I'm looking here in my database to see if there's no. I guess it was just that one. It was number uh, number sixty one. That's, that's a, a Savage Land one. Angelus. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, on the cover of it. You've got uh, Angel in that really goofy, like colorblind outfit that he had. Fighting, what's this guy, the pterodactyl guy, Sauron, was that his name? 
pen. They look like they're over like some sort of expressway or something. Really, it's a really cool cover. I don't remember a thing about the issue, but I know I had it and I know I read it. Um, but I think that's the only one of his X Men that I that I ever did um, own or read. So yeah, that's I, that's on my I list. I've got to read that sometime. I would definitely refer you to that that run, and and uh, strongly suggest that you check it out. A uh, lot, a lot of really good stuff in it, and uh, I forgot where I was going to go with this. Oh, just you know, it's funny because uh, in that run, the last, the last issue, uh, I'm trying to remember now, '65 was the return of Professor X, uh, and actually the cover on it is a little underwhelming, but the interior art's beautiful. But then number '66 is a uh, is actually Sal Buscema, which is the last issue before they went to uh, to reprints. And if you look mm-hmm. at it, you can clearly see Buscema was trying to uh, to you know to do his layouts in a Neil Adams way. There's 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 definitely you know a dynamic feel to it that you don't always get from Buscema. And and interestingly, there's also some. Uh, Somewhere where I would, I would have sworn it was inked by Gil Kane in some of the panels, but it might be worth checking that one out if you read the, uh, you know, if you do get to read that X Men run. Right. So, uh, for for the purposes of of this, we each chose a book, and your book actually came out first. So, I don't know if you want me to do mine first or if you want to do yours first. No, go ahead. You already revealed what yours was. Go ahead and uh, and run with yours. Yours is a secret. <laughs> no one needs to know. So, as as has become my want, I am using the Marvel database uh, to get my uh, synopsis. Uh, I'm sorry, but, you know, hey, life gets in the way. So, it's written by Neil Adams, and it is penciled, excuse me, written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Neil Adams. The cover is by Neil Adams, inked by Tom Palmer, Neil Adams, and Alan Weiss. Color is uncredited, lettered by Sam Rosen and edited by Stan Lee. The cover shows Vision smashing the uh, the helmet of an alien uh, with Thor, Cap, and Iron Man coming up from behind to stop him, telling him, you know, don't hit him anymore or you're going to kill him. And the title is The Andromeda Swarm. So the synopsis is that... On board S.H.I.E.L.D.'s space station, the Avengers are granted use of a space shuttle by Nick Fury so that they may travel to the Andromeda Galaxy to rescue their captured allies, Quicksilver, the Scarlet Witch, and Captain Marvel. Traveling through space, the Avengers run into a Skrull armada outside the solar system that engages them in battle. They fight back against the invading force and board the the lead Skrull ship. A channel is opened to the Skrull homeworld. The Emperor addresses them and reveals that he has forced Marvel to create an Omniwave projector, which he plans to use as a weapon. But it turns out that it was all a trick. Marvel used the device to project a holographic illusion of himself. The real Marvel is fighting to free himself and his new friends. The Emperor orders his fleet to initiate Plan Delta before cutting off the transmission. Furious over this turn of events and of the danger facing Wanda, the Vision beats the ship's captain nearly to death. The Avengers intervene, and the ship's captain quickly relates that 
Plan Delta is a pre-planned operation to decimate the entire planet Earth. Captain America dispatches Goliath on a life-or-death mission to stop the Skrull craft being utilized in this plot from reaching Earth. On the Kree homeworld, Rick Jones, captured by the Kree last issue, is brought before Ronan the Accuser. He looks Rick up with he locks Rick up with the Supreme Intelligence. There, the intelligence explains to Rick that he is an important part of the Kree Skrull War and opens a dimensional gate that transports Rick to the negative zone. Arriving there, Rick finds an Iolus there, waiting for him. And the story is to be continued in the next issue. So, the, uh, yeah, the title, I'm just looking at the notes here, the title is a takeoff on uh, Michael Crichton's story, The Andromeda Strain. And the artwork, which is really what we're here to talk about, not so much the story, but, you know, we'll get into the story a little bit. Uh, the artwork is absolutely beautiful when when this was rated number one uh you know i can i can i could see where this artwork warrants it but i don't know if this is the best neil adams because neil adams has done so many great things there are one or two panels which look a little loosely inked uh and I, like if you what is it page uh six there's, there's, a, there's a shot of funny Thor. Hand, uh, yep, that's exactly what I'm looking at, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it looks like the inks could be a little tighter and a little bit cleaner. Uh, but overall, like the layouts are gorgeous. And, and the, I mean, it, it's just so dynamic in the way everything's done and so cinematic in its own way. You know, Neil Adams had, had a way about him of drawing uh the cosmic which we get in this we get space armadas and we get aliens and we get you know waves of energy and different things going on so there's all of that cosmic aspect of this but then you know you when you when when he draws people's faces there's there's a level of like realism to it that you didn't see from other artists uh and and you know the the dynamic page layouts are really on display here you know the uh the panels that aren't, you know, quite, you know, traditional in the, in the layouts, uh, you know, slightly angular and definitely off as far as, uh, the, you know, the way they're drawn and, you know, characters actually, or things actually bleeding from one panel into the next. There's a lot of stuff like that in this one. And it's, it's almost like, I really don't care what the story is because I'm just sitting here and, and, and loving the artwork. Uh, you know, it's not quite as far gone as that, but it comes close to it. Uh, you know, this is part of the Kree Skrull War, and it, you know, I, I've actually wanted to do the Kree Skrull War from the beginning uh, for an Avengers Spotlight run, and we still may do that eventually. And if we do, we'll we'll keep this one in there, and we'll do a you know kind of a panel by panel breakdown because we're just giving you the the overview right now instead of the detailed look at it. Uh, but you know you could just see where Adams was just breaking through the barriers that other artists couldn't do. Uh, there's, there's, like I said, you know, I just page after page of beautiful shots and, and the scope, I'm just, you know, I keep going, I'm looking at page four, you know, that where they show this armada coming and everything. And it, it's just, you know, like you can truly appreciate the scope of the, the war that's going on. Uh, so with the exception of that panel of Thor, uh, I think, you know, this is just as beautiful as, as any book can be, in my opinion.
What do you say? Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, it's it's stunning to look at. It's it's really, uh, you know, just it's pretty much a masterpiece of, of artwork. It's funny. I, I do agree with you, though, that uh, I don't know. I mean, as, as awesome as it is, and it really is awesome. I, I mean, I really enjoyed the artwork style here. I love how all the characters look. I, I have very few qualms with anything in the issue. And those I do, um, you know, like you, I think falls more on, on the inking uh, than anything else. But it's funny. I mean, if this really is wh- whichever site you were looking at, you know, if this is their top pick, I-, I do think it's a bit of an odd one because as awesome as it is, I mean, there, I, I'm, I think there are better, um, you know, better examples of, uh, of Adam's work out there as great as this is. But I mean, it's definitely up there. I mean, it, it looks fantastic. Yeah. In, in my own mind, uh, it's like you say, okay, this is an A plus, but I can find an A plus. I like more. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, he's one of those guys that you know can can do that magic trick of of taking a, a character or a costume that normally you might not really care for, and because of his style, it just with him as the artist, it suddenly looks awesome. Whereas any other time, you're just like, oh, I really don't care for that. Um, you know, perfect example here is, uh, you know, this was when Hawkeye w- was playing Goliath, and his costume, I think, is just flat ridiculous. I never liked it. I always thought it was a really goofy look for him, but it works here. He he looks really cool. He's large. He's dynamic. You know, it's uh, it's it just works. You know, with Adams uh, as the artist on this. I you know the the use of shading is really great in this too which is one of the things um I always noticed about uh his style when he was um you know in the issues I I never I still don't own all of the issues he did of Green Lantern I'm still working on those but the ones I have owned uh and still own um, that was one of the things that really struck me was the dynamic use of, of shading and the whole zipatone thing and all that. And it's a little sparing, you know, used a little sparingly here, um, but there are still some really good examples. The uh, the last panel on page 18 where Rick Jones just kind of snaps and he's yelling at Ronan the Accuser, that's just I mean, the shading on that is awesome. I mean, it really looks cool. And that, that's like a, a Neil Adams standard. Not that not that yeah. this image is recreated, but but the yelling guy. I mean, I, I can, I'm pretty sure I've seen at least a dozen shots of Bruce Wayne yelling like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I he his work with faces, his work with uh, body language. I think that's what made him so dynamic in his time, you know, especially in, in this, in these, you know, in when he first hit, because you just didn't see anything like that. You didn't see Superman, you know, snap and yell at people to where it was, I don't know, photorealistic's not quite the word, but it just, it looked more real, if you know what I mean. It, it, it was still, 
fantasy, but now it was suddenly more grounded because it was closer to real life than it was to cartoon, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's that's the thing I really, really like about Adams is that it's it's still comics, it's still fantasy, but it suddenly it, it's almost you know you said it yourself that it, it, it's very movie like. This is almost like a peek into the MCU decades before, you know, the, these characters would would make that jump to the silver screen, and and it has that kind of grounded realism to it, and I really like that. It makes it somehow it makes it more. Um, I don't know, more believable, more. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's really hard. You know to, what comes to, to mind right now words. is it, it made it feel more grown up. It made it feel less like you were reading yeah, a kids' yeah, book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think and I think you know, especially when you're 15 and you're reading a comic book. You know, you you start thinking, you know, at that age, oh, you know, should I be reading comics? Blah blah blah. You know, you, you worry about that. You know, what are people going to think of me? I'm gonna, you know, I'm a nerd. Uh, and as stupid as that is, you know, you, you, there was some of that. But when you looked at this stuff, you said, well, you know what? Screw it. This stuff is great. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I... this is and, and this is not to denigrate, you know, any other, uh, you know, any other penciler, inker, illustrator, you know, that, that worked in comics. But this this is art, if you know what I mean. Mm hmm. You know, art, art in a true sense, and you're right that it 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 lent its a a gravitas and authenticity. Um, you know, you you made it you you said that it made it more adult or grown up feeling, and I think that's one of the the the, the true hallmarks of Neil Adams, especially during this time. When comics still had that reputation of just being, you know, silly children's entertainment or, you know, still in the vein of like the Batman TV show type of thing. Whereas you look at this and it and it doesn't have any of that because it's suddenly much more realistic and, and much more, again, you know, true grown up style art. And. I think that's what he really lent best to a lot of the the classic stuff that he did was you know that that sense of that because we talked a little bit about this when we covered one of the chapters of um, you know the whole Raza Ghoul story in uh, in Batman is that you know and I, I see a lot of that with this. Is that I I don't necessarily think this is a all that great of a story. I think the reason that this is great though, and and the reason it's a classic, is because of the 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 gravitas, the weight that Adams art lends to it. It's just that much cooler, that much more grounded, that much more realistic. I think. If you if if it was just another artist, it wouldn't it wouldn't really have any of that. And and my best evidence for that is you look at the very next issue. Now again, that's not to denigrate that artist. I think you know the art's fine in that book, but 
with the very next chapter of this, with it not being Neil Adams, it kind of just goes back to being a comic book again, if you know what I mean. And so I think that's what he really lent to it. I, I know a lot of the, the Denny, you know, because he was frequently paired with Denny O'Neill. I know a lot of the Denny O'Neill um, stories that I've read that are illustrated by Adams. I almost invariably walk away from those stories going, it's Neil that made this great. If this was any other artist, like say if it was a Batman story, if this was the same story illustrated by you know any other Batman artist of the era, like say Irv Novick, then would it be the memorable classic that it is? Is it the story or is it the art? And almost invariably... It's the art. It's Neil Adams that's making this story a classic. It's really not so much the story, you know, the the story itself. I don't know. Would you would you agree with that? Well, I do think there's a little there. There's a, definitely some truth to that. Um, I think there were a lot of epic stories for the time that Neil Adams did with Denny O'Neill and that Neil Adams did with Roy Thomas. And I'm not really in position to say, you know, Hey, were they entirely written by the, by the writers and Neil just drew them or, you know, were they a true collaboration or what they were? Uh, I think time has not been as kind to the writing as it has been to the art. Uh, I do think they were groundbreaking in their era, but I think, you know, things have progressed and gotten more, mature and more sophisticated so what seemed so so groundbreaking on a story level at one time is not at that same level as it once was if that all makes sense but neil neil adams art right, continues yeah. to be this phenomenal thing and in this particular issue that i that i just had now we're looking at uh i'm not sure how many issues the uh this Kree-Skrull war ran. I think it was like five or six issues, but whatever the case may be, this is the penultimate issue. And it was a confusing, uh, you know, very, you know, very, very epic story. So to jump in, you know, you're not even getting the conclusion, you're getting the setup to the conclusion uh, and, and try and just appreciate the story on that level, I think is difficult, but it's easy to sit there and just say, wow, look at that art. <laughs> you know, right. so so I think that's that's the case here, and I, that's why I was saying I I, I would kind of like to still do the Avengers, uh, you know, for Avengers Spotlight, do the Kree Scroll War, and do the entire thing, and give it the, uh, you know, the page by page, uh, run through, and see see if it you know see if it truly is the uh, epic story that it was made out to be or not. Uh, it's been a while since I read it from the beginning, and I do remember it being a little confusing, but I also remember being it, you know it. It was one of the books that made me feel like this is more grown up. It really did. Uh, so, you know, that was, you know, as a teenager, now as a, you know, as an old man, let's see if I still think the same thing. I don't know. Uh, but but right. the artwork is still awe-inspiring as far as I'm concerned. I I completely agree. It, it, is, it is beautiful. There are some really, really good shots in here. Uh, the one I mentioned earlier, by the way, where I just looked at it and I was like, oh, my God, that's John Byrne, which obviously it's not. Byrne ended up, I don't want to say stealing it, but kind of stealing it is <laughs> page seven, that very last panel where uh, Vision and Thor are ripping the ship open. I know I have seen 
burn using that exact same thing. I'm pretty sure with Superman, um, during his time on Superman, maybe, maybe even using it, uh, in other places with other characters, but I, I know Byrne has done that exact same uh, shot right there. And that when I saw that, that that just made me smile. That's really cool because I know that you know he he was a huge uh, Adams fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely could see where I've seen that particular shot before, uh, and you know. Equally effective. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm you know I'm I'm gonna defer a rating on the story because I like I said I would like to do the whole story and, and do this at some point, but I'm just gonna say A plus on the cover and A plus on the interior art. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll support that absolutely. Yeah, I, I really like the cover on this. Um, is this him alone, or is it's, uh, someone According else? to the wiki, it's him alone, but you know, you never know if somebody from his studio did any of the inking. Yeah. I, I love that cover, though. That is awesome. I wish I still had this issue. I did have this issue, but I got rid of a lot of my early Avengers. I have several issues and... in the uh, Kree-Scroll War, but I do not think I have this one. I'm, I'm, opening up the app. I'm opening it, up my CLZ app now to look. Oh. It's one of the things I, I liked best about this uh, this issue is um, highlighting the vision a little bit. Because I've always liked the character and I like him that much more now um, you know, with, the, with the MCU version of him and all that. But I, I always kind of dug the character to begin with. Um, so I like him, you know, large and in charge and kind of the center focus of the cover. But I really like the sequence in the issue that the cover is referring to where he basically to interrogate the one scroll guy, he just like beats the hell out of him. That's a really dynamic sequence. And the vision just has a really cool look and a really cool costume and everything. And I, I think Neil Adams really... Uh, really showcases that here um some real just some really nice panels and nice poses and stuff and again you know with the facial expressions the the expression he's making as he's pounding the scroll and he just goes i am killing him i I just love that that that's a really good panel just just looking at according to my clz app i am missing this one and number 93 for the kree scroll war otherwise it looks like i have all of them Uh yeah, I I think I I think I had all of them. Unfortunately, I do not have them anymore. I do have I do have uh, the trade paperback though, as well as the Avengers uh, CD, you know, DVD rather with all the books. Well, when I started reading this, I started reading it last night, and then uh, I I was wiped. You know, with with the change of work hours and everything, I just. Uh, I've been getting up a lot earlier than I'm used to, so I started reading it last night, and I just I ended up conking out. So I finished it this afternoon when I came home from work. And when I started reading it last night, I was reading it from uh, some trade. I don't know what printing it was or whatever, but for some uh, reprint uh, collection of it. But I sought out the original because I really wanted to read it, you know, as it was originally published, you know, as as just a regular comic. 
And I noticed right away that whatever reprint I was reading it from had been retouched and recolored. And while the some of the colors are a little funny in the original printing, I still almost invariably um, end up liking the original prints of things much more than when they retouch them. And and when it comes to Neil Adams, I, I don't think I've ever seen um, one of his retouch reprintings that that I liked better than the original. I it just I think that's one of those things that I've come to really appreciate about him is that his style really lent itself to the inferior paper quality of this time of comics. There's something about his art that I, I just, I think it looks better like this when you, when you clean it, when you retouch it, when you, you know, recolor it and all that to make it, you know, really try to be more like the modern comics and, and, you know, with the modern comics printing style, somehow it loses something. And I, I've wondered about that a lot. I, I wonder if it was because he may have been somehow compensating for the fact that it was going to look a certain way when it got printed in, you know, on the printed page, and so that when you print it with the modern printing method, then it kind of looks funny because you no longer had, you know, that that compensation now doesn't translate does that does that follow does that make any sense yeah no it, it that makes sense uh it's funny when they've recolored books as a general rule i'm not the hugest fan mm. of it but the first time i experienced it i actually really did like it the the one i can think of because that was the first one was the old tales of asgard strips from uh kirby uh they they did it they did right. a trade of those and they were all recolored and something about that one really made the art pop and it made it feel uh you know that that fantasy world that he was creating in those stories really seemed to just jump out at me on those so when i first first saw that i really appreciated it and i really liked it and there's been diminishing returns with, with other recolored things that i've seen because I've never seen another one that, that I thought quite as highly of as that one. And I think you, you're on to something that, you know, the the artists really didn't anticipate it being colored that way. And they drew it a little differently than they might have. And it's the argument that people have over colorized movies, too. That, you know, that, that, that right. the, you know, the, the vision of the director would have been different if they knew it was going to have color. Uh, but I'm not I'm not against it. On, you know, as a theory, I just, uh, you know, like many things, I kind of think they should pick and choose their moments and, and try and pick the right ones. Because right. that Tales of Asgard one, I'm really, I'm very fond of that one. So, uh, you know, it'd be nice if they could do that with other things. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Because, you know, I, I don't hate them across the board because there was one several years ago, I want to say it was like a, an old like Ant-Man story or something where they recolored it. And I think 
like touched it up or re-inked it or something and did it in the modern style and it looks i mean amazing it, it was like uh it, it was almost like seeing a, a a brand new story from kirby like he was still alive type of thing and, and working in the modern day and it just really popped and looked amazing um so i have seen some that i like but um Adams was kind of famous or I, I don't know, maybe infamous for when his stuff, I know he did this a lot with his Batman cause he had that two, three, four volume set, whatever it was of, um, I think it was called Batman illustrated. And it was like a chronological reprinting of his Batman material at DC. And I like them. But I, I don't love them because he not only recolored everything, um, but he touched up like a lot of the art, like a lot of it. And so effectively, it wasn't really a reprint anymore. It was almost like, uh, um, what do they call that? Like when they recreate covers, you oh, know, yeah, like yeah. A, it was almost like a recreation. And so, again, you know, a, a flavor of the original is lost in that. Plus the fact that, um, you know, his art style had changed a lot between, you know, the 1970s and, you know, the 2000 whatever, you know, 2000 aughts, 2010s, whatever. I mean, his style had had greatly changed. And you sometimes you could really tell the difference and you could tell that even though you're looking at a 70s neil adams batman story batman then looked funny because he was in the modern neil adams style and so yeah uh, with, with his particular reprints um if if they if they were overtouched then I was not really a, a big fan of it. And it, it's weird to say that because as I flip through this, I mean, it's it's prime for a recoloring because there's a lot of, like, funny-looking colors. There's a lot of, like, oh, it almost looks kind of washed out, like it didn't print properly or something. So it's kind of prime for the recoloring. But then when I look at the recoloring, and again, I don't know where, what edition or whatever this reprint is that i'm looking at i don't know where it comes from but it it doesn't it doesn't look better recolored so i, I don't know what the what the difference is but ultimately i end up preferring the uh the original to uh to the recolored job but regardless i mean the the art's beautiful i i really like this with with very few qualms at all so yeah i'm i'm right there with you on the rating of this Really, really good stuff. All right. You want to move on to the next one? Sure. All right. So the book I decided to bring, um, it's funny because I, I pretty much anticipated that we would be doing some sort of, um, you know, something to honor Neil Adams, you know, when he, when he passed away and all, you know, being, you know, all of us huge fans. I know uh, Dr. Bill is too. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here, but I, I know he's a fan as well. So, I, I pretty much anticipated right away that we would be doing something. And the book I wanted to bring, um, you know, the book that I, I that instantly jumped to my mind that if we're going to talk about Neil Adams, this is the book that I'm going to bring, um, sprung immediately to mind. And 
the day he passed away, um, this was posted online by Marv Wolfman. I, I just want to read this real quick. So R- Marv Wolfman wrote, he said, back at the dawn of our careers, fellow newbie Len Wein or Len Wein and I submitted a Batman story that was ultimately rejected by Batman editor Julius Schwartz. Neil asked to read the script we wrote and liked it, so much so that he decided he wanted to draw it. Note, he was not assigned to draw it, and without an assignment, it would not be published, and he would not be paid. Pardon me. And remember, uh, the editor had already rejected it once. And yet, even knowing all this, while working on his normal paid assignments, Neil drew, uh, drew the entire script free. It took him about a year. When he was done, Neil turned it over to Julie, who, after reading it, remembered that this was the story we had written a year earlier that he had rejected, and now it was drawn behind his back. Some editors would have rejected it out of hand because they hadn't officially okayed it, but Julie liked the finished job and approved it. All he said was, don't do that again. Neil had... uh, more than all the work he could handle, and he certainly did not have to draw a story gratis, yet he believed in something and put his money where his mouth was. Neil did that a lot. After the story, titled The House That Haunted Batman, was published in Detective Comics number 408, Neil gave me some of the original art pages. I immediately framed the splash page he gave me and hung it in my office um, and uh, hung it on my office wall. Fifty years later, that page is still on my office wall. In all sorts of ways, that story ignited our careers, and it exists only because Neil wanted to see it in print and decided to make sure it would. And then he just says, rest in peace, Neil, and thank you for everything. And I was completely blown away with that because I had no idea of any of that. I don't don't know if the story had ever been told before, the backstory of the house that haunted Batman. And it just had special resonance for me because that was the story that immediately jumped to my mind that that's what I would want to cover um, to honor Neil Adams. So the story I'm bringing is uh, the house that haunted Batman from detective comics. Number 408 has a beautiful cover on it. One of my all time favorite covers to any comic where you've got, four little panels underneath the logo for detective comics that showcase Batman and he's holding Robin in his arms and Robin slowly disintegrates to dust. And in the first panel, he's going Robin and the next panel, he's going what's and then in each subsequent panel, it adds up to what's happening to, and then there's a, a, like a half a page panel that takes up the rest of the cover where it just shows Batman and he just looks, you know, heartbroken and distraught. And he's going, you with giant, you know, giant letters with the word you as Robin, who is now turned completely to dust is just like sifting through his fingers. It's just a gorgeous cover. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I love this. It's always been one of my favorites. I've seen this one, uh, um, you know, where they, they put it on like a plaque and sell them certain covers i've seen this one yeah so this this is obviously you know universally loved oh my gosh you see one again pick it up for me i will gladly pay you for it i would love to have this on if my I wall see it, that I would, will that would be, be really 
That would be cool. Okay, so synopsis. I hate to say this because I always give Paul and Bill shit when they do it, but I had to steal a synopsis because I just did not have time to uh, to write up my own. So this comes from uh, the com wiki, um, so I apologize. I'm... It wasn't laziness. I just literally did not have the time, and I didn't really want to wing this off so the top of my just, head. So here we go. Straight. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Hundred... So when you do it, it's not laziness, but when we do it, it is. <laughs> that's 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 your yes, take exactly. on it. That's exactly it. I'm not. I'm not sure uh, I'm on board so... with that. <laughs> so real quick, the uh, the credits on this uh, was written by Len Wein and uh, Marv Wolfman. Of course, Neil Adams, the penciler, and inked by who I think is his best inker, although I agree with you. Um, I really like Tom Palmer inking Neil Adams as well. But I've always said that uh, his best inker of all was uh, Dick Giordano. Um, so synopsis as follows. So Robin has gone missing, and Batman sets out to find him in a decrepit old house, a place which appeared on the outskirts of Gotham City as sudden as Robin's disappearance. As Batman enters deeper into the place, he shouts Robin's name, hoping that his young sidekick would answer his call. A few moments later, Batman is startled by the standing figure of Robin at the end of a long hallway. Batman runs to his young partner, and once he is within reach, Robin collapses, forcing Batman to stop his fall with his arms. Batman takes a closer look at his partner and is extremely shocked to see Robin aging at an inhuman speed until he becomes ashes in Batman's hands. Suddenly, a raging scream breaks the silence of the abandoned house, and Batman follows the source of the appalling sound spawned from the darkest confines of the mansion. Opening a door in the upper floor, Batman is swarmed by a cloud of bats, but he continues his search despite the harrowing scenario until he finds the uh, room the room from it's misspelled room from which the shrieks are coming. Once inside, Batman finds that uh, it is all coming from a gramophone, and just as he stops the record, he is attacked by an unknown assailant who instantly runs away. Batman gives chase to the attacker, who is armed with a gun and is shooting backwards as he escapes, aiming at Batman. Dodging the bullets, Batman finally manages to corner the attacker in one of the mansion's hallways, but he is paralyzed when he realizes that the attacker is none other than Robin. As Batman is being attacked by his partner, he is forced to step back until he falls into a dark room and a door is closed in front of him. Surrounded by absolute darkness, Batman lights a match and is able to see members of the Justice League and Batman's personal friends gathered together around a macabre open coffin. When Batman gets closer, he realizes that the body inside the casket is his own. Soon the members attending Batman's funeral start giving their own eulogies about the Dark Knight. Unfortunately, they all speak dreadful things, as uh, Commissioner Gordon calls him a hypocrite, and Superman rep- uh, resents him for stealing the glory on their past missions together. Finally, Batman realizes that everything is just a strange illusion, almost at the same time as Robin steps up and expresses his contempt for his late mentor, and plans to reveal his secret identity to the world. At that moment, the light from the match fades out and the darkness returns. Lighting a second match, Batman realizes that everyone is gone, and uh, that was in fact all part of an illusion. 
However, he soon notices that the dark walls start closing in until they leave a very narrow space for Batman to move. It is then that Batman's mind returns to reality and he realizes that he is locked in a special tube that makes him bounce up and down with a monitor counting the number of times Batman has repeated the cycle. Besides Batman is an unconscious Robin who is also locked in a similar tube with the count higher than Batman's. Finally, the mastermind behind it all reveals himself to the hero, and Batman is shocked to see Dr. Zin Zin, at least I'm presuming that's how you pronounce his goofy name, on a large monitor controlling every movement. Wanting to know how Zin escaped the, uh, or excuse me, manages to escape prison, Zin explains that it was easy for him to, bre- uh, to break out, and after he escaped, he tried to rejoin his old gang, uh, his old gang, but they scorned him after his defeat at the hands of Batman. Wanting revenge against the Dark Knight, Zinn uh, was promptly contacted by the League of Assassins, who plans, uh, whose plans had been thwarted twice by Batman, and they planned, excuse me, and they provided the money and equipment to create this elaborate death trap. Zinn then proceeds to explain that the monitor counting Batman and Robin's movements on the tubes are actually triggers that would set explosives once the number reaches 100. Knowing that that Robin's counter is far ahead of his own, Batman starts moving inside the tube in order to accelerate the counter so his tube would explode first. Zinn tries to get Batman to plead for Robin's life, but Batman manages to get the counter to 100 before Robin is killed. Zinn believes that he has succeeded, but Batman again appears and breaks Robin out of the deadly tube. Batman explains he used his utility belt to trigger the bomb and avoid being hurt by the explosion. Frustrated but prepared for such eventuality, Zinn releases a dozen of highly trained uh, killers to attack Batman. The Dark Knight uses his honed fighting skills to take down ten of his attackers, but the last couple of them manage to hold him long enough for Zinn to reach him and end his vendetta. Batman is unable to break free, and his hour of doom seems to have finally arrived when Robin appears out of nowhere and tackles Zin Zin, giving Batman the chance to defeat the last two killers. Finally, Batman and Robin take Zin Zin out of the abandoned mansion, and they take him towards the Batmobile while waiting outside. However, as they reach their vehicle, the duo hear laughter from in the house, and they turn around to see Zin Zin mocking them from one of the upper windows. Turning their attention back to, their car, back to the car, they realize that Zinn is not their prisoner any longer, and seconds after this realization, the abandoned house explodes and the whole place comes crumbling down in ashes and fire. As dawn breaks, the Batmobile silently retires from the ghastly scenario and disappears in the first mists of dawn that cover Gotham City. Uh, yeah, not the greatest synopsis in the world, but that pretty much gets the point of this one across, I think. Um, I have loved this issue since I was a child. I have no idea when I first acquired it. Uh, to my memory, I've had it as long as I've been alive. I don't remember a time ever not having this issue. Um, this is dated, it was a, the February 1971 issue. So, I mean, I would have gotten it at a very young age. Um, but it's just gorgeous from cover to cover. I, I don't think there's a single panel in here that I, I have any qualms with that I that I don't just love. I've just I've read it so many times, and uh, 
it's just absolutely gorgeous to behold. The thing is with this, I think this is also a prime example of what I was talking about before. I think if this had been drawn by pretty much anybody else, I think it would be a completely forgettable story. Um, all apologies to Len Wein and Marv Wolfman. I don't think it's all that great a story. I think it's the it's all about the art. The art is what sells all of it. Because Batman's a little, he's a little goofy in it. And the whole story's a little goofy, too. Once you get past the really cool, like, haunted house portion of the beginning of the story, which is the coolest part of the whole story, honestly, is when, you know, Batman's going through this scenario and you just, you, you don't, you're, you're just as confused as he is. You don't know what's going on. It's all very creepy and macabre. But once the lights come on and the villains revealed, it kind of turns into kind of it's kind of a throwback to like silly Batman, if you know what I mean. You know, he's locked in a tube, he's bouncing up and down. And, it, it, it you know, again, by by any other artist, it would have regressed into just a, a silly, forgettable Batman story. But it's it's this incredible artwork by by Neil Adams. I mean, it's just unbelievable the sequence on page 12 where he's facing this mob of uh of killers you know of assassins the deadly dozen i mean it's it's just gorgeous him taking them out in in just the layouts and the way adams has batman move and the use of um, I don't know if it's necessarily martial arts, but just the fighting stances and the way his cape flows. And man, I mean, the the character seldom ever looked as, as good as he looks in, in this particular story. I mean, this is just this is Batman to me. I mean, it's it's just beautiful stuff. I really, really like this one a lot. And uh, and we get, you know, just for a moment, we get Superman in the story, too. So, you know, again, Superman by Adams, you can't go wrong. And Adams was one of the few people to really make pixie booted Robin work and really, really look great. Um, you know, a lot of people criticize that outfit. I never really did. I really like Robin in this outfit. Um, but, you know, I will also admit that it, it took the right artist to really make it work. And Adams definitely makes it work. Uh, it, it looks really cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to, to know what you thought of this, Paul. Had you read this one before? So, yeah, I, I did read this, but I'm pretty sure it was about a million years ago. Uh, so I, I, I had to reread it just to kind of remember what it was about. And even then, it still felt kind of new to me because it's been so long since I read it. And it's funny because, you know, I really like this. And then as you're talking about it, I'm trying to picture in my mind, okay, what would this look like if somebody else drew it? And I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I, uh, if I would have thought differently of it. I can't say for certain. Excuse me. Uh, well, I mean, I certainly would have thought differently of it because it wouldn't have been the the great picture that it is by, by well the great art that it is by Neil Adams excuse me and you know there's so few people who could uh, compete with that but would it still be as you know in its own way as entertaining of a story and and that's what I'm just trying to to put together in my mind would would I think it is as silly as all that 
And, you know, I, you just talked about this sequence with them fighting. I could see with, with, with a different artist doing it where I could almost hear the fight music from Batman 66 playing in the background. Uh, and, right. and, and, it, and right. that it would be a little silly, you know, that, that he's doing it. Cause if you don't have them, you know, if you don't make these choreographed shots look the way they should, then, then it's, you know, it's, it's going to lose its effectiveness. So I guess you're right. I just hadn't considered it from that perspective before. And now I'm, I'm looking at it through kind of a different prism. Uh, the first few pages, I agree with you, you know, I, I was, you know, reading it and it's got kind of that haunted house feeling and it's spooky. Uh, and that does not have that 66 feel. And, and I, I, I think it's, it's once you have the, re, the villain reveal that it becomes potentially silly up until then. I think the story is, is really well laid out to the point where it's creepy and, and it's, you know, a psychological game being played with Batman. And, and I really like that. Then it, it's, you know, it, it has to kind of fall into the traditional, you know, villain thing. Uh, the artwork is just so gorgeous, though. It's just, you know, ultimately, I just keep falling back on that when I try to, to you know, it, it's like the last book. As, as I try to critique the story, I look at the art and I think, yeah, but look at the art. <laughs> you know? uh exactly the 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 story you know it's it's you you are by nature an art first guy the art always stands out more to you uh it's interesting like when i've had professor allen on he's much more of a story first guy and i'm somewhere in the middle I, i you know i kind of need both in in some respects that it, you know, if the art's gorgeous but the story isn't so good, or if the story is really good but the art is really bad, uh, you know, it's it's going to take something away from it. Uh, so I I think this is a good story, but I think the art elevates it to make it a great story. Exactly. And that may be exactly yeah. what we talked about with the Cree uh, Scroll War, and it's something again we're going to probably examine as time goes on uh, when we have the opportunity. And it's going to be interesting to see what our take is on it because we're going to be able to to break it down more so and, and not just look at the artwork. Uh, I'm not familiar with this Zin Zin anywhere except for this issue. So I, I don't know. When when he first appeared, it, it, he gave me a Ra's al Ghul feeling. But, you know, that quickly faded, honestly. I, I think I've read... His other, he he was not like a, a popular villain. He, he I I don't think he appeared more than just you know a couple of times. I think I have his other appearances, but yeah, he never made much of an impression on me. Um, one of the one of the reasons I say that I think the 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 story turns kind of silly the moment the lights are, come on is because he looks silly. Um. He's he's like discount Raza Ghoul, but nowhere near. He doesn't look anywhere near as good as Raza Ghoul. He, he's he's somewhere between like Raza Ghoul and like Fu Manchu or the Mandarin. Yeah, well, or something. he's kind of kind of like an amalgam of the two. Yeah, and then just the whole name Zin Zin. You know, it's spelled T Z I N, 
and you know hyphen and then just tzin again so i don't know is it tzin tzin is it zin zin i have no i could not find a pronunciation guide so just the fact that they're doing that annoying thing where you don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name that also has always taken that down a step for me as well. But well, I, I, I got to think I know that the, the T is silent and I just go zin zin and it, it, it's yeah. like it doesn't even phase me. Uh, right. I, I you know I I don't I don't know I there was a there was a video game some years ago now I can't remember the name of it but I remember it came with a um. I don't know if it was a mini poster or a mini litho or whatever, but it was a it was a Batman illustration by I want to say Jim Lee, I think. And the villain in that I thought for the longest time was Zin Zin, but now I'm not so sure. But he he if it <coughs> pardon me if it wasn't him, he was like. It was like a ripoff of him, and I'm thinking he's already lame enough. Why would you create like a lame, like interpretation of him or whatever? But I don't know. I'd have to look it up to know, you know, to remember exactly what I'm what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, he he never made much of an impression on me. I I'm not even sure if he's still around now. I, I again, I have no familiarity with him other than this story. So, but you know, it, it's interesting, you know, that you read the uh, the quote from uh, from Marv Wolfman or the you know the posting that he made, uh, right? That that Neil Adams took a year to draw this. Now I'm I'm assuming that he didn't take a year because this was a year's worth of art. I assume he, he took a year because. He was doing this on the arm and, you know, would squeeze in a little bit here and there when he could. Uh, right. But, but that right. said, if, 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 if you told me, no, no, he took a year because he really wanted to, to make the art perfect, I'd say, well, he succeeded. <laughs> you know? So it, it, it's uh, it, it either way works for me. And the, the cover is, like you know, we've, we've talked about that. The cover is probably the most striking thing in the book, which realistically, isn't that what it's supposed to be? Isn't the cover supposed to be the most striking image? I mean, it's just you, you right. see this cover and you think, "Oh, what the hell is this about?" I got to read this, uh, and I don't know why, but you know, for some reason, again, like I had totally forgotten about this story that I had read it once before, uh, and I always thought, you know, that this was like a clayface story, and that that's why Robin melts, you know, because it's it's somehow clayface. Oh, I I could see that, yeah. You know what's really cool about this too is that the cover is actually art from the interior of the story because it's actually page two. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not. It's and not. It's not that, a total reproduction, is it? I I don't know. I'm flipping back and forth. I and am I, too. I, and I, you know what it looks like to I me? Think it is. It looks like it's the same pencils and the inks are slightly different. Could be. Yeah. It could be. But yeah, I, I I like that. That that's actually really cool to yeah, me. Yeah, that is. I don't I don't recall a whole lot of comics ever doing that. I mean, I know others have, but I don't recall it being done a lot. And and honestly, and 
That's more neat. often than not, when there's a cover that has several panels on it, it's usually not one of my favorites. I don't want the pure. I don't generally right. want the pure poster image, but I generally do want, you know, I want a poster image of something that's going to happen in the book. That's what I. That's what I want. Right. And, you know, the four panels don't often lend themselves to be a poster image. Now this one is different in that in that respect, because as you said before, oh yeah, get this, I'll hang it on my wall. <laughs> you know, so it is a little different. It is a poster image in its own way, but to make a poster image out of you know five different shots. Uh, that's saying something, you know, he, he had an incredible eye for, you know, for how to lay out a page to, to pull your eye to certain things and to, again, you know, he, I, I think he was probably the first artist that really did draw books in a cinematic way. Uh, you know, I think the next guy that stepped up and did it was Starenko, but you know, Neil Adams did it before him but i think i think that's that's what i think we see what we see here now how, how many pages is this story 15 it's a relatively short story actually no it's oh yeah it is 15 15 pages yeah no it's it, yeah it's not long yeah but i mean i, I I don't. I don't know honestly if I've ever seen a Neil Adams drawn Batman book that I didn't think looked gorgeous, and you know I could probably just say I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a Neil Adams drawn book that I didn't think looked gorgeous, uh, and and that kind of goes to what I said before that even his later work, which is criticized, I still think the artwork is beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I had to look it up real quick because it was bugging me. So the, the game I was thinking of, I don't know if it was on other platforms other than, oh, yeah, it was. It was on, according to this, it was released on Xbox, PlayStation 2, Game Boy Advance, and GameCube. It was a game called Batman Rise of Sin Su. And the reason I was thinking it was it might be that Zin Zin guy is because Zu is spelled T-Z-U. And... He looks like, a lot like Zin Zin, and it, it describes him here in the wiki article as a superpowered Asian warlord. So I'm kind of like, why didn't they just use Zin Zin, who already existed? I think this guy was original for the game. But anyway, that was what I was thinking of. It was a game based on, uh, or set rather, in the world of uh, Batman the Animated Series. But that was what I was thinking of. But I remember when I bought that game, that that's who I thought it was i i couldn't remember the the villain in this book i couldn't remember his name i knew it was something goofy like that this is the kind of character um, but they're, you, they're, you know you you pick up 30 years later and just have him come out of nowhere and you you make him cooler yeah yeah and yeah i, I think he's got potential it's just yeah he needs a he needs a makeover <laughs> But yeah, I think he's got potential. I I don't remember what his story was, like what his what his whole beef was. I mean, clearly in this, he's just trying to get re revenge on Batman for having foiled some plan of his. But I don't remember his earlier appearances. Like what what was the the thing that got, got foiled? I don't I don't remember if I've ever read it. I, mean, I think I have, but I don't I don't recall now. But yeah, I mean he's he's definitely got some potential, but it's just he's in this one he's kind of the mort of the month, I think. So <laughs> yeah, well, but, can't win them all. <laughs> uh, 
But, so, uh, uh, one thing I did want to ahead. comment on just real quick was uh, I, I love on page eight. Page eight's always been one of my favorite uh, sequences in this story because this is the there's only four panels on the page, but this is the sequence where the walls start moving. And, you know, this has become kind of a, a trope in comics, you know, with, with the death trap type mm-hmm. of thing, you know, when, when that would happen. <coughs> I'm pretty sure this was my first time ever seeing this. And I don't know that it was ever done better to my eye than it's done here because the first three panels are at the top. So it's like the top half of the page are the first three panels. And because the panels are already narrow and the blackness of the space starts to kind of encroach on Batman and squeeze him, it it already has kind of a, a tight claustrophobic feel. Then you go to the bottom half of the page, which is just one panel, but it's almost entirely black except for this thin strip right in the middle where Batman is basically fighting for his life. He's, he's now being squeezed into this space by the walls. You know, but all that, that negative space, or, you know, everything that's going on here, you know, the, the, there, I really like this. I remember back when we covered, um, I forget which issue specifically it was, but we, we covered a Neil Adams and, uh, and, uh, oh gosh, who did he write with, or who was he with on, uh, on Green Lantern? Was that Len Wein? No, was it Denny O'Neill? Denny O'Neill, yeah. The Denny O'Neill, yeah, and, uh, Neil Adams. We, we covered an issue of Green Lantern, and there was that sequence where, um, Green Arrow was chained to an anchor and then thrown into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And there was a very similar panel there where it was just a long strip of him being basically dragged to his death. And it was all black around him with just like that little tiny figure of him being pulled down by the anchor. And it was the same type of use of, you know, the blackness and everything to, to again, reinforce all those things, you know, the, the, the scariness of the situation you know, how how far down he was, um, you know, death encroaching by all the black around him. And that and I love that. I mean, that's of the art that really is impactful. And I, I love that. That is it's just so effective and so cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, yeah, he really creates a claustrophobic feel. And then all of a sudden it just ends because, you know, the lights go on and he's in the tube. It's it's very just very, very well set up. Uh, and yeah, I, I, you know, I remember that sequence too from the uh, Green Arrow story. So yeah, you know, right. he, he, he had he had a way again, and this this goes to you know, I hate to just keep saying the same thing over and over again, but the cinematic feel, like you could feel the movement, you could feel the claustrophobia, you could definitely feel, you know, what he set up in in the. Uh, in, in, in these images and in, in, in the storytelling, Neil Adams was a great storyteller besides being a great poster artist. And that is where the combination right. yeah. just totally works. You know, and, and you know, I know I, I've ragged on it before and I love a lot of the things that Alec, Alex Ross has done. Alec, Alex Ross is an incredible poster artist, but he does not have Neil Adams chops as far as storytelling goes. Not even close. 
Right. And that's that's where right. where he falls short right. sometimes. And again, I don't mean to to blast him because I, he's done some of the most beautiful images I've ever seen. But he is not the storyteller that Neil Adams is. But you know what? Very few artists are. Very true. So. I had uh, just a couple. I, I don't know if you have any, but I, I just had a, a couple other, like, just quick, um, I guess you call them honorable mentions, um, works of his that, that I hold in just incredibly high regard that I wanted to just mention sure, real absolutely. quick. And that would be, um, you know, his work on Dead Man. Oh, yeah. I, you know what? Um, I to me, the that. other thing that, uh, you know, that to me, I mean, when, when his name comes up, you know, that's another one of those things that immediately comes to mind. You know, along with Batman and Superman is is got to be Dead Man. Um, I'm pretty sure the entire reason I discovered Dead Man as a character and and just so fell in love with that character to where I had to own, you know, all of his appearances was because just as Neil was getting started and everything and and kind of becoming the Batman guy, you know, he got that gig by um, his, I, I think they were fill-in assignments, if I'm not mistaken, on Brave and the Bold. And one of the first, if not the first one, was Batman teaming up with Dead Man. And so that, of course, led me to, you know, I, I, I just instantly was taken with the characters. That led me to, okay, who's this Dead Man guy? And and finding his adventures in, in Strange Adventures, tracking that stuff down. And then... Um, you know, also, you know, when Dead Man appeared in other titles after Strange Adventure, Neil followed the character. So, uh, you know, like there's three issues of of all things Aquaman, where Dead Man was a was a backup feature in Aquaman for a time. Those are by Neil Adams. And then there was an issue of um, Justice League of America, where Dead Man appeared in the story. The story is actually illustrated by somebody else, but certain sequences of the story are Neil Adams. I think it's like Dead Man's like narrating the story or something like that. Those pages are by Adams. And so it's just really neat that he he followed, you know, he he was like the guy on that character and followed the character around to all these different projects and, and different titles as well. I just always thought that was really neat because it, it lent a, a nice consistency to that character, you know, in his early years and everything. And I, I've just always had a real fondness for that stuff. His, his work on, uh, on, uh, you know, that whole dead man strip was just, I mean, just fantastic stuff. I really, really liked that I always had the stuff. impression I, that, that he was like particularly to... fond of that character and that he, you know that it was yeah. it was a labor of love with him. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I really do. Um, and then the other one, real quick. This one's kind of an odd one, um, but this is one of those ones. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, you can still find it out there in like you know fifty cent or dollar bins. You know, find it on the cheap type of thing. But he, I think I could be wrong, but I think he created the character. It was a character called Megalith. And um, he appeared in, um, was it Continuity Comics? Damn it, I should have looked this up ahead of time. That would make I sense because I think his, uh, his studio is Continuity. Yeah, I, I think it was you know something he created and, and it was in-house in his own studio, I, I think. Um, I'm just 
scrambling to look it up here real quick. Um, the character may have appeared b- between two companies. I'm not sure, but I'm trying to look it up. But he uh, he was just I, I was really just taken with that character. He was just he was just neat. He was um, the best way I can describe him is is imagine Superman, but Superman that became Superman by doing Batman's training. Like like you know Batman became what Batman became because he trained himself to be you know the perfect physical specimen, you know the perfect detective and all that stuff. Imagine that that same basic type of origin story of of training your yourself and your body, you know, to be able to be this superhero, but now apply that to Superman. And that's kind of what Megalith was and he's just really uh, a, a cool character. He's a very dynamic uh character and everything and uh I I just I really uh, have always really enjoyed that character a lot. He, I think he appeared. There was a t- title. I'm trying to find it. Yeah. Okay. Here, I finally found it. It was okay. It is continuity comics. So it was it was Neil Adams' own imprint. He first appeared in a title called The Revengers, um, but then he kind of broke out of that title and ended up getting his own uh, book for a time. Um, but the earliest stuff was actually, um, by Adams himself. I think later on other people took over cause you know, continuity had like a whole team of people that kind of drew in his style. So a lot of the books look like they're drawn by Neil Adams when they aren't necessarily drawn by him. They're, they're more drawn by like his people, like his team, mm-hmm. but in, Megalith's earliest stuff, it's it's actually Neil. And uh man, it's some I mean, it's just some fantastic looking stuff. I really, really like that stuff. Um and and like I say, you can find it dirt cheap. And it's well worth picking up. One that I would imagine you could find dirt cheap, and it's just kind of one of the oddities of my collection, is back in nineteen eighty three he did a one issue uh, I don't know if it was because it was just widely panned uh, that they never did a second, but of a character called Skate Man for uh, Pacific Comics. Yeah. And I have that book, and I have the book. Yeah. Why do I have the book? Because it's Neil Adams' book. That's why I have it. <laughs> you know, any yep. other artist made it, I probably wouldn't. Have. The only the only other artist who I probably would have picked that up if it was by him would be Kirby. Uh, but, you know, that's about it. Uh, so, you know, I mean, not, not they weren't all winners. But the art is still beautiful. Uh, I was, I think I was mistaking thinking that Megalith may have started in another title and then moved over to continuity is because there was one that did that, which was Ms. Mystic. Yes. She started at Pacific, but then she eventually did move over to continuity. Um, that was an interesting book, too. I don't remember it very well, but I remember when it came along... Um, because she always gave the impression that she was actually nude, but they weren't like allowed or, or weren't allowing themselves to draw her nude. But that was kind of the impression that she gave by her kind of weird look. And I remember, you know, as, as pubescent boys, you know, I remember Chris Honeywell and I being really taken with that book and really enjoying that book. <laughs> but uh, I don't remember a hell of a lot about it now. Um 
other than it was, I mean, it was just gorgeous. It was a really good looking book, but yeah, I have, I have the first yeah, issue uh, he, of that he, one he did, as well. Yeah, he did a, a number of uh, of different like kind of odd characters with continuity. Some of, some of which I have, and I don't know that I've ever necessarily read them. Um, so you know, just kind of weird characters, but really nice. Like he did Cyber Rad. I, I'm almost positive I have some issues of that. I don't think I've ever read one called Crazy Man. Where he kind of looks like the Joker. And again, I think I have an issue or two of that that I've never read. But you know, so really pretty looking books. But I have no idea, if, you know, of the quality of the stories or anything like that. But it's just an, an interesting yeah, I'm, side I'm like point you. that I, mean, I think you'd get a kick out of. Is uh, I just looked, you know, that I have the first issue of Ms. Mystic in my collection, and I punched it up on the CLZ app, and I saw. Uh, the first issue is inked by Mike Nasser. Oh wow, that's I figured that's you'd, cool. you'd be that's another intrigued yeah. by that. That's another guy I'm a huge huge fan of. Yeah, all right. I mean, he just yeah, he's he's got just some some incredible. I mean, he did uh, he did a number of the um, like Power Records too. Some of those Power Records things are really good. Um. Because I can remember he did, didn't he do, I think he did like Dracula in one of those power records that's just like amazing looking. I would like to see that. I mean, you know, my my Dracula is pretty much always drawn by Gene Colan. Right. I I don't think I've ever seen that, but I would be interested in doing so. And I guess one, you know, the art, an artist who was clearly very influenced by Neil and I mean we're just kind of going stream of consciousness now but uh clear in, in my mind clearly influenced by him to a great deal uh, is Bill Sienkiewicz yeah yeah so. yeah absolutely as a matter of fact it's funny you mention that because I was just thinking that uh I, I don't think I'd ever made the connection before but if I'm not mistaken I think it was Neil that first drew Dracula, you know, Marvel's Dracula as looking very different from Gene Colin's because Colin had that very distinct. He kind of looked like like Jack Palance, but exaggerated, you know, with the fangs mm-hmm. and the and the pointed ears and everything. Whereas uh, um, Neil, if I'm remembering properly, I think he was the first one to draw him as. Sinkevich would eventually draw him when he was in the X-Men, you know, with the more like the goatee. And you know what I mean? That whole look. Now that I think about that, I think that look actually originated with Adams in it was either in the magazine or in the um, I don't I'd swear that there was a power records with the monsters that he did, but I am not seeing it in his credits on Mike's amazing world, but I'd, I'd swear that he did. I'll have to see if I can look that up sometime, but it is listing some power records here, but it's not listing anything with the monsters, strangely enough. So I don't know if it's just an oversight or, or if I'm just remembering wrong, but I thought that there was, that, uh, um, you, you, you're definitely I know I, a blank spot for me. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, I, I definitely know I've seen something he did um, that was uh, 
Yeah, here it is. This is um, Power Records BR 508, a story of Dracula, the Wolfman, and Frankenstein. And this Frankenstein story is Neil Adams. The Dra- yeah, the Drac yeah, this is the one I'm thinking of. He yeah, that's by Neil Adams. And oh, that's weird. It said there was a wolf. I don't see a Wolfman story. Oh, okay, yeah, there it is. Yep, that, yeah, the entire thing is Neil Adams. Hmm. Yeah, all three stories. Yep. Yeah, I knew I'd seen that somewhere. Okay, I am wrong on that Dracula though. He he's clearly very different from from Colin, <clears throat> from Collins, but yeah, it's it's not the. But then again, is this this isn't Marvel, is it? No, I don't think it is. I think it's something else. But anyway, but yeah, that's what I was thinking of. But I think the the Dracula that he did in Dracula Lives, the magazine, I think was. Um, the goatee. Yeah, it is. I'm looking at it right here. In uh, Dracula Lives, the magazine number two, the very first story in there is called That Dracula May Live Again, and it is that um, that goateed Dracula. Damn, this is beautiful. I have this, and I don't think I've ever read it. I haven't gotten around to reading it yet because I don't have all the issues, but holy shit, this is beautiful art. Okay, but I don't think we're going to make the yeah. readers listen to us read them. Uh, so, so, so I'm just about ready to wrap things up. And basically, uh, any Neil Adams work that is not in my collection is not by choice because I would, there's nothing that he ever did that I wouldn't want to own. Uh, so I think that's, that's the bottom line on it. And I want to just, you know, again, just say what a, what a great experience it was to, 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 to basically have him be in this industry and to have a chance to have met him and, and spoken to him and just it's uh it's a loss you know that that's all i could say i always looked forward to you know even if it was from afar seeing him at his booth at new york comic-con and you know just entertaining the the group around him and he he was always doing so so you know uh you'll be missed that's all i have to say yep absolutely here's to you neil you were you're a great guy Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Batman, we mentioned earlier, you know, how closely identified you are with him. When you came on board with him and, and, and you and, and Denny O'Neill uh, worked to bring the character out of the, the camp era and all that, um, was there editorial pushback? I'm, I'm always, cause I've heard a lot of, of discussions and read a lot of interviews where you've talked about it, but I, I wondered, was that an edict from Julia Schwartz and no. the Bat no. team? Or, no. 
were they kind of nervous about what you were planning to do? You have to remember that, uh, well, they're always nervous at what I'm going to do. They're always thinking I'm gonna, the castle's going to fall down. There was the TV show. We all loved the TV show. We, we loved the reruns. How can you not love it? I mean, it's wonderful uh, and remains wonderful. The star has recently died, and, and uh, we, we, we love him so much that everybody's heart broke because we're so used to him being in our lives, and we're so used to the TV show being in our lives. But that TV show was a satire. It was never meant to be real. It was meant to be a comedy, and it was a comedy, and it was a terrific satire. Pow, you know, all that stuff. But when the show was over, then the question is, what do you do with the comic books? I mean, Batman walking down the street in the daytime, and no kid is pointing at him and saying, Mommy, that's man's in his underwear. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what would happen. Uh, Batman walking through a door into a meeting room, it just seems so, rather than coming through the window or coming out of a closet or whatever. Um, I know there's a reference there that you, that you were going to laugh gonna, at, and you can't do it. You leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone. So the, the question was, what do you do? Well, I, of course, uh, because I come from advertising illustration, I could easily see what the solution was. The solution was make him realistic and do Batman the way he was originally created. I didn't do anything to Batman. I drew him better, but I basically went back to the Jerry Robinson, uh, Bob Kane Batman and brought him forward in time and just left out that middle area of satire that was no longer there. We had humor, but not satire. We didn't make fun of him. We made him a realistic character. So by doing that, I mean, they were actually the, uh, Batman appears in two books, uh, Batman and Detective Comics. They were on the verge of canceling Detective Comics and the sales on Batman weren't good. So it was a big problem at DC Comics. I was doing Batman over in, in a, a comic book called Brave and Bold. Mm -hmm. And all the fan letters were saying, well, that's the only Batman at DC Comics is the one in Brave and Bold. So the editor of Batman said, come on, you're going to start doing Batman. So Denny O'Neill and I started to do Batman. And Denny O'Neill, it, 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 it's funny how things come together. Denny O'Neill was a reporter, and he used to work the night beat on his newspaper. And that kind of realistic, gritty kind of story is exactly what Denny was able to contribute to the Batman stories. We didn't even do the clowns. We didn't do the Joker and Mad Hatter and those characters. We did uh, Orson Wellian type characters and, and people who could seem to be living uh, too long uh, mm -hmm. uh, lives because they were taking drugs and doing something illegal. So we turned Batman into a modern hero um, who fought crime at night, not in the daytime. Not, not walking down the street. <laughs> I'm knocking on doors. Can I come in? Yeah, can I come in? Hello.